0: Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, August 18th, 2023. And I want to get into the Trump indictment in Atlanta later because I want to focus on Joe Biden, the disaster of Joe Biden, bad news, Biden. So it was another bad week for Joe Biden. And the reason it was a bad week because James Comer just revealed a list of fake Joe Biden email accounts. And Comer has demanded from the National Archives that they hand over all unredacted records of his fake email accounts. Now apparently Joe used several fake email accounts as part of his Biden brand scheme. And a couple names are robert.lpeters at pci.gov. He also used Robinware, JRBware as two other fake email accounts. And What he was doing here, he was making sure that his son Hunter was apprised of his itinerary, his meetings, without his fingerprints on it. And I've seen this game played before. So what, um, and I'll get into the games later, but essentially what Biden would do is he would have his staff email his itinerary to this fake Joe Biden account and then cc Hunter Biden on it. So this way, Joe knew that Hunter was getting all the information that Hunter needed to move ahead his scheme, the Biden brand. So let me read a little bit of an article here from the Gateway Pundit. House Oversight Committee James Comer on Wednesday dropped a list of pseudonyms Biden used as vice president and formally requested the National Archives to hand over all unredacted records of Biden using them. Biden used the email address Robert.lpeters at PCI.gov, and that his aide, John Flynn, cc'd Hunter on 10 emails containing Joe's schedule between May 18th and June 15th, 2016. Joe is so dumb, he he didn't think that anybody was going to figure this out at some point. Maybe he thought that Donald Trump would never win when he started doing this. So that's why he got so sloppy. So again, here's the scheme. Biden didn't want to have his fingerprints on Hunter getting his itinerary. So what he told his staff, he goes, okay, let's create some fake email accounts. You can send the itinerary to the fake email accounts, and then cc Hunter Biden. This way I know it's not coming from me. or This way people won't think that it's coming from me. And I've seen this done before on a local level. I told you I, was, I worked in Hudson County for a number of years. And one of the top politicians in Hudson County had a girlfriend that was on a number of payrolls in a lot of these ins- local institutions. And apparently she was complaining to her boyfriend, the elected official, that she wasn't getting paid on time. Apparently, she she was some kind of PR consultant. So this official called these institutions, these local institutions, says, why is my girlfriend not getting paid on time? Oh, well, sorry, we'll take care of it. Well, this is what I want you to do. Every time a check is cut, I want you to call my staff. This way, we keep my fingerprints off of it. No one would be able to track the conversation. So all it is, is just these institutions calling This elected official's staff to let him know that the check was cut. And then the staff would call the elected official to let him know that his girlfriend was paid. And this is similar to what's going on here. You don't want the elected officials' uh, fingerprints on things like this. You want their staff, which makes it harder for this to be traced. But Joe Biden, as I said, is just so dumb that he thought that no one would be able to track down these fake email accounts. And as I said before, this is just so. Local corrupt politician type of activity that is just it amazes me uh, regarding the stupidity on it. So, I think what should happen is I think that they should subpoena John Flynn, Biden's aide, for a little more detail on why this was sent. And again, it's laughable, but two things Joe is not a bright guy, Joe probably thought Hillary was going to win, so he got sloppy. And then, additionally, you know, the New York Post ran another article regarding. These emails from Hunter Light Biden's laptop and these emails exposed the fact that Hunter was paying Joe's bills. And you have to put this into context to another email that was found on Hunter's laptop. And it's an email from Hunter to his daughter stating the following. I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard. He groused to his daughter, Naomi, in a January 2019 text messages that took direct aim at Pop, Joe Biden. But don't worry, unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. And then you add to this the fact that Joe Biden received tens of millions of dollars from these LLCs, and there's not enough evidence for an impeachment. And then the article goes on to say, as early as 2010, Hunter Biden and Eric Schwerin, a business partner, were discussing how to monetize Biden once his term ended in 2017 email, uh, email show. And in a July 6, 2010 message headed, J.R.B. Future Memo, Schwerin asks, does it make sense to see if your dad has some time in the next couple of weeks while you are in D.C. to talk about it? He could use some positive news about his future earnings potential. And here's the interesting thing. They were thinking about how to monetize Joe Biden after he ended his term in 2017. But Biden and Hunter, they were already on top of that. They were already monetizing Joe Biden's name. And then the rest is history. We know the the tens and millions of dollars that came into Hunter Biden and his Chinese accounts, Romanian accounts, Ukrainian accounts, and how Joe Biden was a part of it. And we have plenty of evidence. We know that. Hunter Biden was paying Joe Biden's bills. And we also know that this money, this massive amount of money was coming in from these LLCs to Joe Biden. And let's switch over to Maui. And before I say anything else about Maui, I just uh, hope for the best for the people over there. I just, it's terrible. I'm lo- we're looking at upwards to a thousand people that were killed. Horrifically. And what is Joe Biden's first comment? No comment. Press asked him about Maui and he has no comment about it. And then he's asked a second time before he's going to the uh, a funeral for a friend of his. I think it was the wife of the former governor of uh, Pennsylvania, Casey. And he's asked again about Maui. And he says, oh, no, now is not the time to talk about this. Really? You're the president of the United States and you blow off the press twice about Maui? But you know what he did? His administration authorized $700 Each to those people in Maui that were affected by the fire. $700. Meanwhile, he's giving $24 billion to Ukraine. But he can only find $700 per person for the people in Maui? Think about that. And this is a Democrat state. And Like I've always told many people that are in the Democrat party right now, they don't care about you. The only thing they care about is you acquiesce to their power. And when push comes to shove, they're never going to be there for you. They may throw you some bones out there with some kind of social program or something that allows you to virtue signal, but they don't care about you. And I'll tell you, Biden has said he's going to fly there on Monday, but he does not look like a man that wants to fly to Hawaii on Monday. But this is what you got. This is what happens when you're allowed to cheat in elections. And the other thing I want to bring up is that, hey, remember Joe Biden's infrastructure bill? Remember that? All this money for the United States infrastructure. Well, it clearly hasn't helped Hawaii. And think about that. And I think I mentioned in a past episode is that, you know, these bills, if there's anything left over, you or I get it. People of Hawaii get it. They're all taking care of themselves first. They'll have to pay out the attorneys, the connected consultants, engineers, everybody else but the American people. And a simple procedure, a simple amount of money a small amount of money could have taken care of this. All they had to do was just maintain the brush around the electricity poles. It's all it takes. But they don't want to get their hands dirty. That's below them. I don't want my stinking money in my infrastructure bill to go to cleaning shrubs, bushes, making people safe. No, it's got to go to the elite class first. Whatever's left over, people in Maui can have. And the other thing I want to talk about is the utter incompetence. Of the bureaucracy in Maui. The Democrat bureaucracy in Maui. Hawaii is a heavily Democrat state. And of course, they're only going to hire people that are politically connected. Or hired because of their sexuality, race, gender status. It's not about competence with them. And we have it right here with Maui. Now the OEM director from Maui resigned today. As a result of the uproar regarding... For him not allowing the warning sirens to go off in Maui. And I don't even want to go to the press conference. I'll just give you a big summary of what he said because it's an embarrassment. But essentially what he said, oh no, I I didn't allow the warning signs to go off because they're only used for tsunamis. And that's not what they're for. If you go to their website, the warning signs are for brush fires also. And you do a little research on who this person is. And his name is Herman Ndaya. And he has absolutely no OEM experience but what he does have he's a former chief of staff to one of the Maui County mayors and this is what you get with Democrats it's not about competency it's about your connections and it's about virtue signaling so he resigned today and the other thing I want to talk about is the fact that they cut off water to those poor people trying to fight the fire they cut it off and it wasn't until the fire had done its damage that they turn the water back on. And with that said, I want to go to a clip. And it's the head of the Maui Water Management Administration, or unit. And he's the one that turned the water off and wouldn't give it to those poor people trying to fight the fire, including firemen. I saw this one clip from this poor resident there. He was talking about it. because I'm trying to water down every, every place around my house. And all of a sudden, the water shuts off. Here he is trying to protect his home, and he gets no help from the government. But you got to listen to this guy. I'm going to bring you to a clip. This guy is a woke, virtue-signaling individual. And he's going to show you his philosophy on water. Water is supposed to be cherished. It's godlike. And this is my worldview about water. And So let's go to the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. Oh, and before I forget, his name is M. Kaleo Manuel. He's an administrator in the Maui Department of Land and Resource Water Research Management Division. One water is like taking it and looking at it from a holistic system perspective. And that's not diff- any different than how Hawaiians traditionally managed water. You know, in, in essence, we treated, a native Hawaiians treated water as one of the earthly manifestations of a god and a kua, kane. And so that reverence um, for a resource and that reciprocity in relationship was was something that was really, really important to our worldview. Really, my motto is always like, let water connect us and not divide us. Like, we, we can share it, but it requires true conversations about equity. Well, you didn't share it. You cut it off. Now, I've heard a report that, and they had cut it off for several hours because the bureaucracy wanted to check in with the local farmers to see see how this extra water going to those poor people trying to fight the wildfire would affect their farms. Really? You got people dying, are you going to check in with farmers, see if it's going to hurt their crop? And this is the problem. These people don't value human life. They value statistics. They want to hide in statistics, but ultimately they do not value human life. So this guy made a choice that somebody's farm is the equivalent of somebody's life. And one thing that was interesting to me was, here's this guy, He's he's talking about how Oh, water is godlike, but there's a certain arrogance there. Is that? Yep, water is godlike, and I'm one of his priests, and I'm in charge of it. And this is what a lot of these bureaucrats get off on. They they've got power. It gives them power, and it's all about the power. It's not about using your power to help. It's all about getting the power and retaining it. And this is what you get. You got possibly a thousand people dead, and how many of them have died because they had no water? to fight the fire okay let's go back to bad news biden and biden continues to tout bidenomics and as long as you're going to continue to tout bidenomics i'm going to come out with some real statistics for americans and the first thing i wanted to just uh, talk about is mortgage rates have now hit a 20-year high thank you joe it says here, the average long-term U.S. mortgage rate climbed this week to its highest level in more than 20 years, pushing up borrowing costs for home buyers already ch- challenged by a housing market that remains competitive due to, to a, a dearth of homes for sale. Mortgage buyer Freddie Mac said Thursday that the average rate on the benchmark 30-year home loan rose to 7.09% from 6.96% a year ago. The rate was 5.13%. It's the fourth consecutive increase for the average rate and the highest since early April 2002, when it averaged 7.13%. So we've got housing more expensive for particularly young couples with a kid trying to get the American dream. And it's being denied by Joe Biden's Bidenomics. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is another article, and this is from CNBC. And let me just read a little of it. It says here For many Americans, payday can't come soon enough. As of June, 61% of adults are living paycheck to paycheck, according to a Lending Club report. In other words, they rely on those regular paychecks to meet essential living expenses with little or no money left over. Almost three quarters, 72% of Americans, say they are not financially secure, given their current financial standing. And more than a quarter said they will likely never be financially secure, according to a survey by Bankrate. There are actually millions of people struggling, said Ida Rademacher, vice president of the Aspen Institute. It's not something that people want to talk about, but if you are in a place where your financial security feels Super precarious. You're not alone. So these statistics fly in the face of binomics, And again, they continue to fall flat because what Joe Biden is saying about the economy is not reality. And where the tire meets the road, Americans are not in a better place because of Joe Biden. And I think they're starting to realize it. You know, they see all this talk about the economy being good and they can't wait till the next paycheck to come in. Or they're trying to buy a house and they have to sit and wait because mortgage rates are too high. And again, I I feel sorry for these young couples trying to buy a house, their first house. And one of the policies I like about Donald Trump is Donald Trump is trying to alleviate the housing problem, particularly for younger people. And what he's proposing, and this is a really really aggressive proposal, and I like it. What he plans on doing is creating 10 new cities throughout the United States. He's going to take government land, developers are going to build on it, and he's essentially creating 10 new cities throughout the country. And that's going to help with housing for younger people, particularly give young people that never had owned a house before an ability to move to a brand new city. And how can that policy be bad? So we shall see. Now, we've got upcoming budget negotiations, and I think uh, they'll start sometime in September. And I think the Republicans should use these negotiations to make sure that the House Oversight Committee, any other investigative committee, gets response from the deep state and the Biden administration regarding Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Jack Smith, and his indictment of Donald Trump. So what's going to happen is the White House, the deep state, DOJ, FBI, they're going to try to stonewall any further investigation into Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Jack Smith. And I think it would be wise for the Republicans to not fund these departments if they are stonewalling Congress. Because don't forget, Congress has the power of the purse string. And it's Congress's charge, according to the Constitution, to oversee the executive branch of the government. And if the executive branch of the government is not responding to any subpoenas, to any requests for information regarding the president, regarding a Hunter Biden investigation, regarding the indictment of Donald Trump by Jack Smith, I I think they should use their power to defund these departments. So we shall see. Okay, so Donald Trump gets indicted again this week in Atlanta. So that's his fourth indictment, and, and people see through this. Donald Trump is such a threat to Joe Biden, the deep state, the hardened bureaucracy in Washington, that they're throwing everything at him. And did I say people are saying through this? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a clip, and it's with Alan Dershowitz. Now, Alan Dershowitz is a liberal Democrat that has defended Donald Trump through all this, and he's recently wrote a book called Get Trump. And and he hits the nail on the head. If I could say it better than him, I would say it. But I'm going to go to a clip and he will describe what's going on.
1: The whole strategy of all these four cases is to get a conviction before the election, even if they're going to lose on appeal. I used to teach my students, many of them, future prosecutors, if you bring a RICO case, that increases your chances of winning a trial and losing on appeal. The same thing is true with conspiracy and other cases involving mental states. And so all four of these cases are designed to get quick, quick convictions in jurisdictions that are heavily loaded against Donald Trump. And these prosecutors don't care as much as prosecutors generally do about having the convictions reversed on appeal because that will happen after the election, which only goes to prove what I've been arguing now for, for months. If you're going after the man who's running against your incumbent president, you would darn well better have the strongest case possible. And these are among the four, at least three of them, three weakest cases I've ever seen against any candidate. We don't know about the fourth, but it seems like it's very much like the DC case. And if you're going after the man running for president against your person, you have to have the strongest case. Otherwise, it becomes a banana republic. Anybody can prosecute anybody. And we're opening the door to prosecution of Democrats by Republicans, Republicans by Democrats is what Alexander Hamilton wrote in The Federalist is the most dangerous threat to democracy. And we're seeing it unfold in front of our eyes very, very tragically. I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Trump supporter. But I care deeply about the Constitution. I care deeply about preserving the rule of law, and we're seeing it being frittered away for partisan political purposes.
0: And just to summarize what Dershowitz said one, we're creating a banana republic because we criminalize politics and we're using lawfare to go against our enemies. Two, these are all weak cases designed to win short term but lose on appeal. And these convictions are going to take place. During the election season, believe it or not, and that's what these deep state attorneys are doing to Donald Trump. They're just trying to hurt him politically. It's not about the law. It's about politics. And that's what's dangerous. Dershowitz mentions Alexander Hamilton saying this is dangerous for democracy. When they say Donald Trump is dangerous for democracy, it's projection. The Democrats, they're the threat to democracy. The deep state is the threat to democracy. And Donald Trump is in the way. And you're in the way. And I'm in the way. And like I've always said, if they can do it to Trump, they can do it to you. And here's some really good evidence. With Trump's Atlanta indictment, remember the clerk of the court released the indictment with the indictment not actually being completed? And they said, Donald Trump indicted. But guess what? They were still in the middle of the grand jury. So how did that happen? How did that court clerk get a copy of that indictment before the grand jury concluded? Strange, huh? But it's all political. It's all political game to get Trump and to create a new shiny object. Because this whole special counsel appointment for the Hunter Biden case, it ain't going well for the Biden administration. It's not going well for Merrick Garland because people see through it. It's just another corrupt decision by Garland and the White House. And with that said, I want to go to a clip with Newt Gingrich. And Newt Gingrich came across a uh, Interesting piece of information. So let me play the clip, and then we'll come back and discuss.
2: That I am told, this is hearsay, but I am told by a reliable source that Friday evening, somebody from Washington called the district attorney in Atlanta and said, you have to indict on Monday. We have to cover up all of the mistakes we just made with Weiss. And she Hmm. said, apparently, my jurors aren't coming back till Tuesday. And they said, you didn't hear me. You have to indict on Monday and she said well are not going to get here before noon they said that doesn't matter she said this, this means it's going to be 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock at night they said it doesn't matter we need the news so media who, shifting who, ma- who made that phone call we, we don't know Um, And I'm telling you up front, this is hearsay, but it's from a person who has remarkably good sources. I totally
0: believe it, though, because that would explain why they leaked and they messed up on the clerk document, why she was exhausted, (laughs) and why they had the 11 p.m. press conference, Mr. Speaker. And that was Newt Gingrich on the Charlie Kirk show. But Kirk chimed in, and I'm going to chime in, and it does make sense. They rushed this, and because they're not very bright people... The clerk of the court, put it out there. She probably panicked. She probably wanted to get this out as soon as possible. Hey, I'm doing my job. And I still want to know, how did she get her hands on that indictment? Now, she's claiming it was a draft. But I don't see it marked as a draft. Just doesn't make sense. And she came out the next day. Oh, my bad. My bad. I made a mistake. And it, she was just too dumb to execute on what Washington wanted. That was her only mistake. But she panicked. Doesn't seem like a bright person. But that's where we are today. And while we are on the subject of uh, Newt Gingrich, I'm gonna, I'm, wanna play, I want to play another clip with Newt Gingrich. And although Dershowitz gave you the legal perspective of what's happening to Donald Trump, Newt's going to give you a historic perspective of what's going on today and how would it affect our country for the next generation. So let's go to this clip, and then we'll come back and discuss.
2: And I think we are drifting towards the greatest constitutional crisis since the 1850s uh, and the rise of secession and the Civil War. <clears throat> I don't mean that as hyperbole. Uh, if you read Andy McCarthy's remarkable book, Ball of Collusion, which came out in 2019, he makes very clear that it is Barack Obama who corrupts the Justice Department, it is Hillary Clinton who routinely breaks the law and gets away with it, and now we have Joe Biden who's learned, he's learned from Obama that doesn't matter what you do, if you're a liberal Democrat, you will not be prosecuted. He learned from Hillary that a person in high public office can get millions of and millions of dollars, and they learned from watching Donald Trump that a true outsider willing to take on the entire system could destroy their entire machine. So what you're seeing across the country is a desperate last ditch effort by a corrupt machine to destroy their most dangerous opponent in a way which not only breaks the constitution destroys the rule of law and establishes a moment of bitterness, uh, which I think will last for a generation or more. I think this is going to be a horrendous period, and we just need to understand the people who want to control America and dictate to the rest of us will break any law, lie about any topic, and manipulate the system any way they can, and that includes a lot of the elite news media.
0: So they are desperate. They are throwing everything at Donald Trump because they are desperate. And remember that. We're winning, but we have to stay strong. And what I mean by staying strong is you have to vote for Donald Trump because he represents our fight against the machine. Okay, I've got one good story I want to talk about before I go. And it has to do with a court case in New Jersey. And the New Jersey State Supreme Court sided with a Catholic school that fired a pregnant teacher for having premarital sex. And this is kind of a surprise because the New Jersey Supreme Court is quite liberal. So let me re- read a little bit of the article, and this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. It says, the New Jersey Supreme Court has sided with a Catholic school that fired a pregnant unmarried teacher, determining that determination was legally permissible. The ruling brings a years-long legal battle which brought discourse about religious freedom and the separation of church and state to a national stage, to an end. So it says here, so on Monday, the New Jersey Supreme Court unanimously ruled that the firing was justified because Christello, the plaintiff, knowingly violated Catholic law and because New Jersey's anti-discrimination laws offer exemption to religious organizations. As noted by the New York Times, the court said that the state's anti-discrimination law and its exception for religious organizations allows St. Teresa's to require its employees to abide by the rules of the Catholic Church. Cristela, the plaintiff, signed an agreement when she was hired that she'd abide by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Peter G. Venero, the lawyer for St. Teresa's applauded the court's ruling. We are pleased that the Supreme Court upheld the rights of religious employers to act consistent with their religious tenets, and that St. Teresa's school did so here, he said in a statement. But, in a statement, the New Jersey Attorney General's office said he was disappointed in the court's decision. And this is the same Attorney General who works for Phil Murphy, above my pay grade Murphy, the same Governor and the same attorney general that are going after school systems trying to protect your children. But that aside, this is really good news. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.